0: I remember it was paula radcliffe and she was i was watching her. she was actually commentating and she walked she was talking about um going to the start line and you know the, the interviewer would say what are these runners thinking now paula and she said well the last thing you want to uh, do when you go to the start line of a, of a marathon is know that you're carrying an injury and i thought blimey i've never been to the start line of a marathon knowing i'm not carrying one you know i've always been aware please let my right leg hold up and don't let it go through that excruciating pain when it's pound 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 the same gate for like two hours two hours 15 don't let my leg kick in and don't let it let me down and um yeah so that's the only reason I actually took to running is to to kind of prove a point and it kind of grew from there so the next thing is you know okay I've completed one how do I win one how do I you know or I'm here in the ordinary runner section of the this marathon. How do I get up the front? How do I get where they are? What's the difference here? And there again, I tried to get a coach, but nobody would coach me because of the veganism thing. And you know, okay, you've got some ability, but you know, you're just gonna go away and undo any investment we put in time-wise because you're just gonna go on this kooky diet that will not enable you to get your best potential out of performance. So I thought, well, the diet's the only reason I'm there. Um, and it's not up for negotiation. So I kind of got to fathom this one out by trial and error. And that's pretty much my marathon running career. It was a trial and there were lots of errors.
1: That, my friend, was Fiona Oakes. And this is the Inspirational Runners Podcast. Hey, everyone. Hope you are survived the lockdown. My name's Robbie Marsh and I'm your host. So welcome to the podcast. I really don't know where to start with this week's guest, inspiring in so many ways, co-founder of one of the UK's largest running groups, Vegan Runners. She graces a 238 marathon PB, holds four Guinness World Records, which includes winning the North Pole Marathon, finishing 8th in Amsterdam Marathon and a top 20 finish in London. You have to know fiona to know how remarkable she is no coaches no time off she looks after over 600 animals at her sanctuary and only eats one vegan meal a day after she has tended to all her animals and to top it off she lost her kneecap in her teens where she was told she will never walk again let alone become an elite runner on the world stage she truly is a remarkable genuine person who runs purely for the love of the animals if you have not yet seen her film Running for Good, then I'd highly recommend it, currently showing on Amazon Prime, which is a documentary-based film following Fiona through her exploits during the marathon to Sables. Unassuming, The Girl Next Door, genuine, heartwarming and forever-giving, she is such a superstar I didn't even edit this podcast. I don't think I've ever met anybody with as much determination to get her message out. Just before we start, I'd just like to give a shout out to the sponsors of this episode, Spring Energy Gels. I recently was informed of this great product from Beth Pascal, who is next week's guest, finishing 4th in UTMB and Great Western State. It's a natural product, and just what I've been looking for to help me navigate away from the GI issues and energy crashes that I've been having during my events, Was taking other gels and sports nutrition. It's made from real food, it has no maltodextrin added, no sugar added, no preservatives, artificial colours, concentrates. It's made with 100% natural foods such as rice, beetroot, banana, coconut water, peanut butter, only high quality ingredients driven by science. Equipped with a vast athletic experience and inspired by passion for a healthy lifestyle. I'll place a link in the show notes. All listeners can benefit from 15% off their vegan range by using the code INSPIRESPRING during the month of May. They have a great eight-pack vegan sampler pack, so why not give them a try? Without further delay, I give you Fiona Oakes. Yeah, so the Running for Good video, what was that experience like? Rich Roll is somebody who, I I suppose he was the reason why I started up the podcast to begin with, my introduction to pod... Listening to podcasts was through Rich Rule. Um, But what was that experience like?
0: Well, I'm not a particular person that craves the camera or craves any limelight, so it was weird. In 2013, uh, the director of the film, Keegan Kuhn, was looking for funding to make Cowspiracy. And I contacted him then. I'd just broken the world records and just come back from Antarctica. And um, I didn't know how I could help Keegan because all our funds are devoted to the sanctuary, but I just wanted to support him in some way. And he actually looked up who I was and said, you know, my God, you know, if in the future I can ever do anything for you, uh, then I'd like to. And in 2016, completely out of the blue, he contacted me and said, I've got some downtime and I'd like to make this uh, film about this amazing vegan athlete. And I'm going, yeah, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. Who is it? And then he says, <laughs> you. Yeah. And it was like, is this a up? You know, you're kind of checking the inbox to see if it's not somebody playing a prank. And, um, yeah, it was it was an amazing experience. Um, obviously, with the kind of um, CV, running CV I've got, I couldn't run back and create it all again. So Keegan said, you know, I'd really like to film you in a race. And um, I said Marathon de Sable would probably be the one to do because um, it's a spectacular week's experience. It's really, really tough, so it showcases that. But also, it's a big enough race, unlike the four deserts, to get you to the spots where you can get the good footage. Because I love the four deserts, but it's the much smaller experience. So they can't take a film crew onto the course like des Sables could. And um, yeah, it was weird. Just, you know, I don't talk much about myself ever. And I've pretty much spent uh, the last 25 years in solitary confinement, working at the sanctuary and just running. Um, I train alone. Um, it's been a weird experience, like when I was marathon running, you know, elite marathon running, literally um, rushing around in Wellington, popping your trainers on, going off out for a run, coming back to getting on a plane to be greeted by your sermons at Amsterdam Airport and take you to the start of the elite race in the Amsterdam Marathon. And I've had some weird experiences along the way. Um, so I don't talk much and I actually found that Keegan was asking questions that I didn't really know the answers to because I've never really analyzed what I'm doing. It's all come from the gut instinct, what I'm this is what I'll do next. I've never really known why, it just felt right at the time. And so I had to kind of think, Well, why did I do that? What was the decision making process behind that? So it was a big learning curve for me as well. Um, finding out about myself really. Yeah. Um it was, yeah, it really was. Um, and um, it originally Keegan was going to uh, narrate the film, um, but as we went on, he was so proud of it. Um, he said, "Look, I'd like this other guy to to narrate the film." And I was going, "Oh, I'm not sure about that, Keegan. You know, I really want to be with you. <laughs> we were, we got down in the desert together. You know, we had those moments behind the campfire and like you know in the tents, and we were really getting deep conversations going. And I'm not sure." And he said, "Well." it is rich role and it would be better for the film you know basically and <laughs> um, so yeah it was uh, it was a, a really weird experience one of the funniest things is i went to the premiere of running for good in los angeles and rich was there and of course the auditorium was full because not because of me because of rich you know and uh, i arrived and rich said to me you know hi you know great film you must be very proud of it and i said i i, haven't, I haven't hadn't watched it yet and he kind of looked at me as if what, like, "What? you watched it, you know. And um, I said, Well, Keegan keep sending me footage and I keep like writing back saying, Yeah, I'm sure that'll be fine. But in my world, who wants to watch the cells on a screen? Not me. So I, I kind of avoided watching it. And um, I was sitting at the back of the auditorium and my intention had been pulling the old as um, the, the, the intro credits went up, you know, dropping something down the back of the chair and then an hour later emerging and saying, Oh, I found it, but I haven't actually actually endured watching myself on a big screen for an hour. But Rich said, no, 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 we're having none of that. You come and sit next to me and you watch your film. So it was weird. It was kind of weird. But, um, yeah, I mean, uh, I still can't quite believe it. And, um, obviously, with what's happening at the moment, was you to be back in Marathon de Sable last week? I was going again to try and hit the race. Because um, it's the third time I've done that race. Um uh, the first time I did it in 2.12, I was totally unprepared for what lay ahead. And um, there wasn't really the social media contact group going on. So um, I literally went out there like a complete numpty. Um, and the week before the race, I broke two, two toes at the sanctuary. Um, a horse, um, was, um, she was cast in a box and I had to get her to her feet on my own. I pulled her to her feet and she, she stepped back and trod on my foot. And uh, fractured two toes, so now I'm faced going to the toughest foot race on the planet, as they call it, with these two fractured toes. But you know, hey, I've 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 run a two thirty eight marathon. I, I can run this race. Little did I know it, that just goes out the window with MDS. And um, my feet would hardly cram into my shoes when I went, but I got to wear them because they got I had the uh, Velcro sticks with the gaiters. So when I arrived, I got these massive big clown feet. Well, the, the right foot was. My left foot had swollen with the heat. And I went through hell the whole week. And um, all rhyme and reason went out the window. You know, it was literally, I just got to get to the finish line of this race. And um, by the long stage, I remember sitting in this particularly grim situation in the kind of rest over tent. And I said to the guy I was with, "Hey Paul, what do you written that is on my little foot toe? What's your written name? And he said, Um, well, at first analysis, as are quite, you know, kind of military man, I'd say it was the boat sticking through. <laughs> he was like, oh, God. <laughs> so I'm then thinking, I don't know why. In the desert, all rational thought goes out of the window. So rather than doing the sensible thing and presenting at Doc trotters and saying, I think I've got a problem here. I think I need to pull out. You're there pulling gaffer tape off your walking pole and wrapping it round your toes and desperate that nobody spots it, lest you might get pulled out of the race before you by the crack of the marathon stage tomorrow. Um, so that was an aborted attempt um, in 2012. I did the race, I forgot the medal, and um, I thought, you know, the, I got home and I thought, yeah, I'm up for this again. I want to go back in 2013. And because I'd um, affected a rescue of a woman on the on the first day, and i battled my way through with his fractured toes, that Steve Diedrich said, you know, obviously, if you want a place, we'll, we'll let you have a place and go back and hit it hard next year. Without freaky toes. Because I came midfield anyway. Um, I didn't go in 2013 because the better off I came along. I went to the North Pole and did that. But in 2014, I went back to Marathon Stable And I was pretty high up in the rankings. I was running really, really well. And unfortunately, one of my teammates, one of my mates, a guy called Mike Julian, uh, was very poorly. He'd gone out there with his own private uh, battle. He had leukemia. And he was on chemotherapy. And um, he wanted to prove to the world and to other sufferers, this doesn't need to define you. This does not need to prohibit you from doing something as extreme as this. He wanted to give hope to people. So, um, but he was, he was struggling. I mean, each stage was taking me, first couple of days, about four, four or and a half hours. He was rolling in, you know, very, very far down the field. He was really struggling with it. And I remember he got back on day two. And he was very, very upset. And he said, no way. I can't do it. Because even if I get through tomorrow, no way am I going to be able to manage the long stage. It's not going to happen in the state I mean, and of course, um, I kind of popped up. It was just a natural reaction from me, actually, to see a fellow competitor struggling. I'd struggled in 212. I knew what it was like to be out there. I knew how much he wanted that medal. I run for a different reason. Um, I don't even consider myself a runner. I run to promote what I believe in. And to help others and to encourage others to follow a path. Um, So I kind of understood where he was coming from. So um, I kind of said, you know, this is about uh, compassion over competition. All my races are about that. Um, So I said to Mike, if you can get through tomorrow, which was, you know, 30 odd K, and you still want to crack that long stage, if no one else will support you around it, I will. And he just looked to me and said, but you'd be chucking a top place away. And I said, yeah, but I'd be helping you, and that means more. And I did. Uh, he came back to the tent late that um, evening, the next day. And I'd gone to bed, you know, but we were cheering in the last competitors. I could hear the clapping. I got up, I ran out, and it was Mike. And uh, he just came to me and said, you know, does you offer off stand for tomorrow. And, um, yeah, of course he does. And um, I mentored him around um, the long stage. And I'm very proud and pleased to say that he then got through the marathon stage the next day and got what he wanted and i hope that not only did he get the medal for himself but for many other people in the same position that he was in so 2014 was a bit of a mixed bag race i was doing well in stages that that you know obviously that that kind of slow stage put me out um always something i wanted to go back to so, so in 2017 um, i went back unfortunately um, what i did find is that the shoes that i'd worn for other ultra stage races i was in a w- wide fitting road shoe because i I like a lot of cushioning, and I am a road runner i don't consider myself an auto runner really um so uh, they didn't the whole dynamic had changed a little bit of the race I think as more people had become more experienced with actually coping with those distances and um, they kind of made a lot of climbing in that year and uh, the road shoes just didn't didn't stand it so by um, it was it was absolutely by chance I actually found the state of shoes that you know my shoes were in because Keegan actually came to me um um you know the day on the morning of the race and said to me are you are you ready to hit today hard you know and I said oh yeah trouble is my shoes on and I showed him to him and he went oh my god what are you gonna do and he was there actually saying to me okay don't panic Fiona because uh it may not be good for running but it makes good cinematography <laughs>
1: I'm
0: thinking oh my god it makes it dramatic you know and I'd only found out the night before because um having been an experienced mds we were at a camp that I'd been at before. And I knew that we'd had sandstorms there. Um, and um, I felt one blowing up. And um, I said, guys, get your kit. It's going to hit. And they were going, what's going to hit, Fiona? And I said, it's going to be a sandstorm. I've been here before. Sounds really experienced. I've been here before in the Sahara Desert. Anyway, um, <laughs> I know this place well. And um, showing sure off, sandstorm hit. Everything blew away. You know, tents were flying. Socks were everywhere. And so I I um I did a gear, a gear check after it, and I don't know why I looked to the soles of my shoes. I never I never do that normally. And um, there they were, all battered up. Um, so yeah, um, it was a bit of a, a, a you know. And you you do go into that race thinking if I get to the long stage and I have to crawl round on my eyelids, I'll get, but It's not like that. You can't crawl on your eyelids. You can't you can't flap a couple of stones to your feet and bind them up with gaffer tape and march on. It's really not that easy. Um, so, yeah, it was a bit of an experience, but I, I just love it. I, I yeah. do. I, do. I, I actually like being out there pushing myself to the limits. Those who want to do that will know exactly what I mean. The majority of people don't and say, I think it's crazy. But those who want to experience that, want to push themselves to the limits, to find where their limits are, will completely understand why... I am the way I am and
1: why I do what I do. You you touched a little bit there on the reasons why you actually done it. It's not for yourself, it's for the animals. Um, So very, very early age, um, you turned, you've got your vegan runners top on there, have you? Is that what it says? Yeah,
0: vegan (laughs) runners, yeah. But it was a very,
1: very early age that you turned vegan, wasn't it?
0: Yeah, I went vegan when I was six years old after being completely inspired uh, vegetarian at three years old. Um, Simple equation, not a decision, reaction to cruelty. Obviously understood where meat was coming from. Didn't want to harm animals as I don't want to harm people. Uh, Simple question to my mom, why do we eat animals? Mom couldn't answer it. Um, I don't want to eat them. I don't want to be a part of that. And as I became a little bit older, I started to ask my mom other questions about eggs and animal products. She's very, very, my mum's a big rock to me. She still is. And she was just honest. And, you know, it was a rocky road in a real battle. I mean, this is the 1970s. There were no vegan products. Nobody was even aware of what veganism was. We were fortunate in that my mum was a good pianist. Um, She, she, you know, she went to university, studied music. Very, very good pianist. And her music teacher at grammar school had been a vegan lady. And it was in the 1950s, and it was at a time when junior uh, students had to uh, uh, wait on the tables of the um, staff at lunchtime. And apparently, there was always this, you know, before, oh, before, Ball, Ball, you've got to go, she's weird, she's, she's, she's vegan, you know. And, and so, my mum did at least know what the word, the principle of veganism was, and she kept in touch with this lady so she could articulate in an adult way what i was feeling as a child and we battled from together not easy when i was hospitalized um, my mum had gone nursing at that point and um she was accused of child cruelty child abuse and my veganism was aligned to an eating disorder so it, yeah. it's not it's been a battle so i do understand when people say it's not just peer pressure but you know professional pressure of medical professionals it's it's not been easy
1: but it does give you a yeah. picture of where we were doesn't it and that... That obviously, the oh, yeah. journey with veganism is moving all the time. Um, I know my daughter was picking her GCSEs a couple of months ago, and we sat down with the home economics um, teacher. You know, they kn- they only know what they know. So what they were articulating, mm. what would be good, and they were talking about science and sports and things like that. Um, it totally contradicts my thinking. <laughs> mm, <laughs> I sat yeah. on the other side of the table with my sort of mouth shut. Cause I didn't want to discredit anybody. Um, but you know, they were talking about the proteins and all that good stuff and how important that was in diets and where it was important to get it from. And we had, you couldn't get a better person advocate than that than Scott Jurek, who was on your movie as well. That must have been absolutely amazing to have him, seven times winner of the Great Western States. And he had a very influential book, Eat and Run, which he published quite some time ago. Um, but... Your mum actually being taken for um, child cruelty, putting you on a vegan diet. So it just shows you back in 1970, people's thought processes. Because you are right, there was no social media. And it's something that is actually... Yeah, I mean,
0: I think it was some um, people... My mum my didn't like... She She allowed me... My, my, my parents weren't vegan. I, I, I always say to um, people... I come from a very kind of non-Bohemian background. I don't if people imagine that, you know, um, I had this very forward-thinking family that anything goes and Montessori type of education. Just a straightforward. Mom was a pianist and she went nursing. She was a music teacher and went nursing. Dad was a minor on strike. And um, I missed most of my uh, education, teenage education, o levels, because of my knee injury. So it wasn't something that um, I was forced to do. This was completely, completely my choice. And my parents didn't actually follow that path until much later. Um, Mm -hmm. So um,
1: It really was just a young (laughs) child putting two and two together and coming up with four. Yeah. It was as innocent as that, really. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, to be honest with you, for me, the exploitation of animals isn't just in the eating of them and the kind of um, using them uh, for testing and and using the products from them. It's also... um, I suppose to articulate why a child can go vegan at that age is I was the kid who realised what really happened to Peppa Pig, if you get my drift. And um, we use the imagery of animals to sell products, so that's kind of double abuse, because we use people's affection for them to get on you know, a good side of them or to sell things or to nurture children, and then behind closed doors, we kill them. My mum, honestly... Just told me the truth. She allowed me to know the truth, warts and all. And that is something that I am very, very, uh, always very, very grateful for because she wasn't uh, brought up, um, you know, she just called it a conventional background, but she could see that the child abuse would actually be in lying to me and forcing me to have something that was obviously inherently so again. And that was my mum's logic. She's different. She wants to go a different path. Let her follow that path and see where it takes her rather than trying to impose something on her that obviously doesn't suit her.
1: So what do you think about the, we'll dive into this now, I suppose. i was going to leave it to a bit later, but how do you think it's changing now? Like I think like the vegan runners, the jumper you've got now, I think there's five times as many um, club members now than there had been over the last three years. Um, I was actually in a race at the beginning of the year, um, a backyard event. And the people on either side of me were vegans, good friends of mine. And I'm on the journey of, I call myself <laughs> a plant-based diet. Um, the, what the girl on the left, she totally ripped into me <laughs> for saying that it was plant-based. You're either vegan or you're not a vegan. Um, But the fact that, you know, those two athletes were vegan, you know, these are ultra runners that run over 100 miles quite often. Um, me on my own journey, who is 99.9% of the way there, because it... Oh, for a lot of people, it does start with that, doesn't it? For me, it started with nutrition, um, helping support my sports, eating a lot of nutritional, then I moved into plant-based. And then there's sort of this natural progression that sort of comes after that. The more you dive into that and the more you understand what's going on. So it does feel like there is a, I don't want to use the word movement, but progression is maybe a better Yeah, way. I mean, um, when um, I founded Vegan Runners back in
0: 2004, there were literally only a couple of us. And the thought process behind founding the club, me and another guy called Peter Simpson, um, we were both running for the vegetarian cycling and athletics club. As you know, on, on Marathons, you've got to be in an affiliated clubs. And so you join a running club. The only one with any affiliation to the reason I was out there running was the BCAC. So um I, I got some, you know, decent results there. And then Peter said to me, You do know. You've qualified for the elite start of the London Marathon. I went, oh, right, that's good. Um, and what's going to happen is you're going to run 45 minutes ahead of the main field and the men, and what's on your jersey is going to be what people see. That is the most positive form of activism we could possibly latch on to in terms of you're out the front of the race. So people are looking at those runners thinking, uh, many people are thinking, um, I want to aspire. What's their secret? And uh, My secret is, the well, I make no secret, that I'm, I'm, I'm vegan. And that's why I run. I don't even consider myself to be a runner. I, I'm just somebody applying my activism to running and doing the best I can uh, at it, because if I'm, if I'm wasting my time otherwise. And that's the same in anything I do. If I can't be 100% effective, I'll go off and find something that I can be 100% effective in. So, uh, yeah, I mean, literally back in 2004, on the start line, I was pretty much the only vegan in the village. You know what I mean? So, to be buried in the middle of like 50,000 runners on, a, you know, a Amsterdam Marathon wouldn't have really made the same impactual point as being out the front on the Elite Star, getting ferried to the Olympic Stadium with Haile Gabby Selassie, and I'm having him help me with my bags getting off the bus, and everybody's taking photographs. I did have a funny story, actually, when I first went to the Amsterdam Marathon. I arrived, and um, I got the instructions from Yost. You know, you go to the hotel, the elite hotel, you check in, and for elite, you register downstairs. You don't go to the Olympic Stadium. So I was ever so excited. Haile Gabby Selassie was my hero running. And um, I I, I up courage. My mum was there. This was my big moment to go and sign on. And I walked into the little room for us and I said, oh, no, come sign on. And the guy, I looked up, took one look at me, looked me up and down and said, sign on at the Olympic Stadium. So I panicked. I went into full panic mode, went fishing in my pockets for this, this um letter. I said, I've got this email from your firm. and He said, come here. You know, I felt really embarrassed because I don't look like your average road running marathon runner. And he looked at me and said, oh, yes, you are. <laughs> yes, you are. What you know? and I am thinking, Oh my god, this is really, really embarrassing now. And um, he said, What times have you run? And I told him, and he said, You know, in top, you know, if you run out your skin, you might get a top 15 place here, you know, you could do well. And I came eight overall, so oh, I was, that was
1: proud of that. Fantastic, like,
0: yeah, and um, in my, in my vegan runner top, and I, 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 that's the only reason that I've ever run to promote veganism in a positive Proactive and peaceful way at a time before social media, and I think that's very, very important to emphasise. A lot of young people don't remember a pre-social media time when you, you literally got to use mainstream media if you wanted to get a message out there, and they were selective. You know, they weren't yeah. going to just put any story out there. You'd either got to do something fantastic, or something positive, or something very negative, or something very sensational. Um, and I wasn't going to do the latter two, so I decided the former. And um, yeah, um, we started a club and it's grown and grown and grown, particularly as you say over the last few years. Um, when the, the difference between, I think, plant based and vegan, if you just do, if you follow a plant based diet that you could well have you know what I mean? If you're plant based diet, that's probably plant based. You then kind of, many people then transition into veganism and realize that actually, I don't want those products either, or I don't need that in my diet, and I actually don't need that on my feet, or I don't need to wear that, or I don't. So that's kind of how it transitions. Yeah. I have um, always been vegan. I mean, now to put the the word ethical in front of vegan seems wrong to me because when you say to people, "I'm ethical vegan," it's like almost insinuating that they've got no ethics. You know, Um, so I I, think plant-based is more about just diet, but to me, it's more about a holistic lifestyle, the way you conduct yourself, the way that you actually think about the impact of your actions on others, not just animals, but um, uh, humans as well, and the environment. But those things have come later. Everybody's on a learning curve. Nobody's the perfect vegan. Everybody could be better. Everybody could do more. And for me, it started with the animals. Uh, Then it moved on to other issues because I just didn't simply realize the impact of um, animal agriculture, for instance, on the planet. I knew up to the individual animal it was wrong and I didn't want to be part of it. But you start, you learn. And that's one thing that I always say, well, what are your strong points, Fiona? My strongest point is that I know very little, but I'm willing to accept the fact that I know very little and always want to learn more. That's what Mm -hmm. I, I kind of, you know, that pushes me. And that's always the
1: ethics. It's like we live in a, a world that's driven by money, obviously. And, yeah. you know, when we were younger, the whole animal products, et cetera, it's what drives a lot of cash flow. But there, are, you can see now people, I don't want to say jumping on the bandwagon, it's the wrong thing to say. Mm. Maybe it's the wrong thing to say, maybe it's not. Um, but now they can see they can make money out of this. And you've seen the likes of the program Game Changer come out. And, you know, the human race is very naive. You know, we we just <coughs> know what we've been taught but now that there's money being made in this um it almost feels like you know it's helping it step forward a bit quicker
0: yeah i mean i think that that's the main thing i um i I did realize that if veganism was just about i mean i'm not the greatest advertiser's dream i'm very quick to say when people talk to me about nutrition I literally scrounge old food. I don't. Food is not my driver. It's not my motivator. It's not the reason I run. I, I, it's probably tenth priority on my list. I've got 600 miles to feed the sanctuary. Mine's the last one I'm bothering with. I've never bothered much about food. And um, people say, "What do you take to desert? What do you eat before?" And a couple of our baker bars. The vegan. They cheat. They do the job. They can prove you've got the calories. I, I don't fixate on food. Um, I don't take any supplements. It, I, my body is not my temple my body as a facilitator for what I believe in, whether it be caring for the animals or, or, you know, or running. Um, It has driven it forward, though, because obviously the reluctance is, um, the the reluctance is, um, I don't, I don't, there's nothing to promote in me. I I don't sell anything. I don't actually give a message. Um, I was cut from the game changers uh, because I think the direction of the film changed in terms of, I have, I can't offer anybody a performance enhancement proof. From my veganism all i can say is it is not prohibitive to doing the most extreme endurance event that's why i've done the running that's all i wanted to prove and um, people say well well why did you pick running because i've got a knee injury that i've had so many surgeries i was told i would never walk properly again let alone be able to yeah, run so you had like and s- you had through.
1: 17 surgeries on your knee
0: yeah yeah between both knees and the rear um the
1: but the you lost you lost you lost your kneecap though, didn't you, through that?
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. It's and that, important that was to say that like
1: before any running, you know, in your teenage late teenage years, which is quite devastating as well, told you're never gonna run. I uh, sorry, yeah. you're never gonna walk again, let alone run and yeah. potentially be yeah. classified disabled, which is pretty common for somebody that has their kneecaps removed. But you yeah. have taken this path of running
0: yeah i mean to be honest with you and i think that's why i identified a little bit with mike julian i was told by doctors i couldn't do that he was told by doctors he couldn't do it. i knew where he was at um and also um when i was um why did i pick running then i picked running for the simple um fact that i realized after getting the sanctuary been here a few years just kept taking in endless amounts of animals was not going to be the answer i could take four thousand in not not going to end the problem we need to promote the lifestyle that would ultimately make everyone change their 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 opinions or their choices um the only thing i was good at, um i've done a lot of cycling and i was quite athletic i've always been quite athletic i was a very athletic child um i need it probably had to be a sport something cheap uh something that was economical on time and kind of finance And um, Paula Radcliffe was doing really, really well in marathon running at the time. So all the buzzwords were there with with kind of, you know, uh, this extreme endurance event on the athletics calendar. Uh, Paula's doing brilliantly well. The interest was there with the media. The platform was built. I just got to be able to climb on it. And that was the mentality. If I could just compete in a marathon and complete a marathon, all the descriptions were there from the press and media. This is really tough, and I think people need to go back and realise that marathon running was only included in the Olympic calendar for women in 1984. So this was like 2001, too. It's pretty unusual event, but there wasn't a marathon in every village in the world. There was only not that many marathons in the UK. It wasn't a sport that most people were familiar with. Um, and I figured it was just an equation. Well, if I could prove that I could do a marathon then I can prove that you can do anything on, on a vegan diet. I mean, I won't just say um, I lack ability, because I do. I actually have a disability um, that I've got a challenge. And I remember it was Paula Radcliffe, and she was, I was watching her. She was actually commentating. And she walked, She was talking about um, going to the start line, and you know the, the interviewer would say, what are these runners thinking now, Paula? And she said, well, the last thing you want to uh, do when you go to the start line of a, of a marathon is know that you're carrying an injury. And I thought, blimey, I've never been to the start line of a marathon knowing I'm not carrying one. You know, I've always been aware. Please let my right leg hold up and don't let it go through that excruciating pain when it's pound, 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 the same gait for like two hours, two hours, 15. Don't let my leg kick in and don't let it let me down. And um, yeah, so that's the only reason I actually took to running is to, to kind of prove a point. And it kind of grew from there. So the next thing is, you know, okay, I've completed one. How do I win one? How do I, you know, or I'm here in the ordinary runner section of the this marathon. How do I get up the front? How do I get where they are? What's the difference here? And there again, I tried to get a coach, but nobody would coach me because of the veganism thing. And you know, okay, you've got some ability, but you know, you're just going to go away and undo any investment we put in time-wise because you're just going to go on this kooky diet that will not. enable you to get your best potential out of performance so I thought well the diet's the only reason I'm there um, and it's not up for negotiation so I kind of got fathom this one out by trial and error and that's pretty much my marathon running career it was a trial and there were lots of errors (laughs) you know I kind of got there you know Uh, somehow some way I got I got I got around it and I I started with just two I've, I've really had on reflection a pretty weird career with running because i've only ever done when i was road racing two big races a year and nothing else in between because i just couldn't afford the time away from the sanctuary and even end i mean i could have gone and cleaned up every local race that I, you know in in the district i didn't have the time i didn't have the inclination because to me i've said myself any race i present for it's about the animals it's about doing well even if it's a 5k or 10k You've got to taper, you've got to focus, you've got to train specifically, and you've got to rest after if you've given it 100%. My idea was to build a very, very slow, uh, gradual incline in my running with no breaks. So it would be a 10, 11-week constant, constant marathon program that would not change, gradually, gradually, gradually getting to the point where I thought I was, on the last you know, three weeks before, I'd done the maximum I could and then taper down from that. Um, and it kind of worked, but it was surreal. As I say, you know, one minute I'd be like every other runner and kind of rushing round, looking for anything that resembled half a pair of socks after coming in from a morning mucking out, grabbing what I could, belting off up, up the road, running back in, putting my wellies on, sometimes having to put my flipping running, uh, my outdoor stuff on over my clothes to get out and grab the last bit of light because I, I decided to stay out a little bit longer or do a bit more. And um, yeah, I'm the world's most amateur amateur that you could ever imagine and i probably it's probably because i've never actually given that much thought to my training i've i've been able to train nine times a week I've, I've done a lot of speed i think the one thing that's probably more remarkable is that the self-motivation to do it to keep doing it no coach, nobody hiding uh you know shouting at you it, it's just do i do i do this or do i not and i can say now i've never had a running injury i've had injuries which have like broken toes that have impacted my running but i've never had a running injury and i've never missed a session when i go out there i will do what i am supposed to do um i'm a very hard on myself and i know how to get Mm. the most out of myself because i haven't got any talent so i've got an awful lot to make up
1: for so many people just burst out laughing hearing you say that you've got no talent but you do you have a busy day like don't you? you get up early in the morning you You look after the sanctuary where you've brought in a a number of animals, um, which is a real deep passion of yours, obviously. You're living almost for those animals. You know them really, really well. Um, At what time do you get up in the morning? What's what's a normal day look like?
0: Well, I get up at half of three, and um, I start my work. And it depends, time of year, what I've got to cram in. So, um, I mean, I have to start medicating. I've got admin to do at the sanctuary. I've got everything, and I have to kind of juggle the day around it. But so the basic structure is morning and afternoon animal feed jobs. If I'm training twice a day, there'll be a morning session and an evening recovery run. And just getting out there. And actually, you know, with running, it is quite economical. Because even if you're doing, like, um, an 18-mile-longer midweek run, it's only a couple of hours. You know, so, so you can literally, literally two hours, ten minutes, five minutes to get ready, five minutes to change out, and you're back doing – I never rest after runs. I never – I'm, I'm looking at people with all them flipping um, – massage things never never any of that with me never any stretching it's and I'm well i say never any stretching but i'm always very well stretched because i'm 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 literally i've got i've got 106 horses to look after and everything that comes with it so i've got like hay bales i've got like you know 20 kilo bags of short feed a carrot everything that comes with it so i'm always pretty flexible when i when i go out I um, you're pretty I don't strong as
1: well food. and so you are quite a strong. Yeah, yeah. As that's well. why
0: I said when the guy looked at me in in Amsterdam, it's like Jesus. It's like some sort of muscle woman kind of thing. What are you do? And when you say <laughs> you run, uh, people have said like, what sprinter, sprinter? Uh, no, long distance. Never. I'm, I'm very, very big, big muscles. Um, I'm, I'm, I am. My arms are big. I'm not big. You know, I'm, I'm like um, I, I think I weigh about forty eight kilos or something. But I am. It's muscle. It's solid. And um,
1: you ever stop? Do you ever stop? I, uh, ever stop?
0: I never, No, I never stop. But what I did find, was, uh, necessity is the mother of invention. So when I say I don't rest, what I would do is um, if I uh, get back from a two-hour run or a training session, I've got two training sessions to do in a day, I would find something sedentary to do that would still be work. So you might say, okay, I need to just have a rest and a drink. I'll do the computer or I'll unwrap all the produce and bread from Sainsbury's. They donate a food, uh, food donation program for the pig. You find something that you're not just hitting another kind of physical, high physical activity in your, uh, uh, task the next minute. So I've kind of found a way of juggling stuff so I can fit it all in. It's not easy, mind you. I mean, it's, uh, it's, not, it's a bit... I mean, we had a guy, we've had we got an Airbnb at the um, at the farm and uh, one guy came for Christmas, Christmas Eve. And uh, he was like um, roaming around outside. It was dark and it was half past six in the morning. And he said, oh, are you up to go for a run? I said, I've done my run. I'm off doing jobs now, you know, doing the animals. He said, but it's Christmas Day. And I, I must have looked really kind of cocky. I didn't mean it to sound like this. I said no. It's 25th of December to me. It's the same as any other day with fairy lights. You know what I mean? It, that's all it is to me. And my mum had cooked a little bit of lunch for the guests, and he said, "Aren't you having Christmas lunch? You know, with us?" I said, "No, I'm going for another training session because Christmas historically has been a good time to do another run in, in the afternoon. Like last last Christmas Day, I ran 50 mile on Christmas Day, split between two 25 mile runs and doing all my jobs. And to me, the Christmas present was being able to get out and do it." That yeah, honestly yeah. was. I was training for MDS. I was, um, it was quite sad, actually, because I qualified to run for England in March and it was the half marathon and I was going to run there and hopefully do very well and then go on to MDS and put in a good result. And, of course, the night before the um, half marathon they cancelled and um, everything's been on hold since. So, um, yeah, um, I don't consider the training gone to waste because last week I ran the the whole distance of Marathon de Sable with my pike and documented it all, made a little video film of it all. I ran it round where I live uh, because I just wanted to um put the event as best I could to bed. Um, in terms of the fact that I'm sure you understand, like for six months on the 2nd of April to like the 13th of April, I had programmed my mind to expect to run that distance. It didn't happen. But I was almost confused as to why it wasn't happening. So I needed to make it happen in some shape or form. And bizarrely enough, we had the most fantastic weather to do it in you could possibly imagine. And uh, the race, one of the UK race organizers, Steve Biedrich, contacted and said, um, you're not going to believe it. Where we were going to start the first stage, there was rain and uh, sandstorms. And it was horrible. And here it was beautiful. But I just needed to, I suppose, as best I could, use it for that confidence that I had the distance. I I got it taped. The race couldn't go ahead. Very,
1: very sad reason. It's like it's like um, it's like you're you're like a steam train that's on autopilot, just going flat out every single day. Like over four, how many animals would you have now?
0: We've got over six hundred now.
1: Yeah, that's a lot of work, isn't it? It's a lot of mice to feed. Like
0: it's. It's a lot of mouths to feed. It's a lot of muck to clear. It's a lot of logistics to put in place. They're spread over six sites, um, you know. But I, I'm, you know, I I I I run to the sites. I mean, I, I filmed um, when I was doing this little kind of Maris and the Star Ball sort of virtual event. I filmed so people can see how I fit it all in. So I run from each site to check the animal four or five times a day. I can run round. It's across cross country. Um, I um, yeah. I mean, it is is logistically tough. But I don't know. The more you do, the more you find you want to do. And um, for me, motivation is not a problem. I I know why I'm Mm. on this planet. I know what I'm here to do. I know what I want to achieve. I know that life is short and tenuous. And I want to make sure that when I do eventually go, I can close my eyes and with my last breath, I think I gave it my best shot. I I couldn't have done any more. How much
1: much sleep do you get a night?
0: Some nights, very, very little. Um, but, you know, four or five hours a night.
1: Four or five hours. Probably... I'm just wondering where the energy comes from. So you only eat one meal a day. Is that still the case? Yeah. Yeah. And... Oh,
0: God, yeah, that was funny. I was in omsk and um, a guy, um, I was in omsk doing a marathon, yeah, for the, for the world record, you know, and um, I was with the Kenyans. And it was really, you know, for me to sit next to all the Kenyans at the IAAF press conference, that's like, whoa, what am I doing, you know? And um, one of the Kenyan coaches said to me, they'd laid on lunch for us, elite. and um, he said to me, um, are you coming for lunch? I said, no, no, I I don't actually eat lunch. He said, oh, why is that? I said, well, actually, I I kind of only eat one meal a day. And he looked at me and said, ah, the warrior diet. And I kind of looked and stopped and went, (laughs) yes. Yes. yes I thought no she's one meal a day because I do not cram it in because at one point I was firefighting as well and I was unretained for the firefighting and so you don't want to be in the middle of a meal and then call to go up the fire brigade and wear BA you don't want to do that so it was just one hour or whatever in the evening that I knew I could sit down with peace and quiet and digest the meal but he said the warrior diet and I'm yes and then now it's been called intermittent fasting so i'm like really cool at the minute but it was none of that it was just what you can possibly cram in and also i have to look for very small gains with my running because i can't make any big gains with regard to uh, actual talent so um for instance it's a not a pleasant subject to discuss but it is important in terms of the fact that a lot of people talk about what they take in In a marathon to fuel themselves but they don't tend to focus so much on when it's going to come out (laughs) and i like to know exactly how my body's going to perform because the last thing you want in any race is stomach cramps or the need for the toilet because you can be running as fast as you like you've got to stop for a toilet break you're not going to run the time you want so i've had to look for little tiny things that i can do that are kind of free that i can Mm. manage To make up for the lack of money, the lack of coaching, the lack of talent, all those things. So I've become very, I mean, I don't have a Garmin. I don't have a pulse monitor. I know the pace I'm running to the second. I've become experienced in calculating exactly what I'm doing, exactly what I'm capable of, and never blowing up but giving 100%. And I know a lot of people who rely a lot on like Strava and technology find that weird. Um, but I say, look, the way I'm looking at it is this. I've got the most sophisticated computer in the world, known to man about my person. I've just had to learn how to use it, and that being your brain. You know, so something could be bleeping on your wrist, and um, he doesn't know you've had a hard day. He doesn't know that you've been up all night nursing a, a lamb through, through, through some colleagues. He doesn't know any of those things. So you can get, I mean, to be honest with you, if I now got a garment, what I would probably do is look at it, trip over and bretton leg, you know, when I'm out running. I just have to just rely on what I've always relied on. Too late to change. So I, that's what I go for. And I, I can judge it. You know, I know if I want to run a certain time in a half marathon, I knew I had to run a certain time to qualify for the England. I knew what I wanted to do. And I ran within like a couple of seconds of it. What, I what time, know exactly what time did what you
1: I run, run to qualify for England?
0: Uh, for the half marathon, it was, uh, I ran 120. 28 i think something i ran that for the age group um and i think you had to run under 140 to qualify but I, I just made my decision it was actually one morning um i'd had a race cancelled i couldn't go to because something happened at the sanctuary and it was i've very much gone ultra running uh, just doing a lot of miles for mds and um you can't do a hundred plus miles with a backpack and then immediately go back and do speed. I don't find that so easy to do. But I decided, okay, this is gonna be really, really bad. Um, I need to do something positive. So I decided I'd um, do the England Qualifier for um, 10K. And I got one morning and thought, right, I'll do that tomorrow. I'll just enter that race and I will go and qualify. And I did, I did it for 10K and half marathon. I've done no speed work for like, I don't think I've done half marathon for eight years. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I turn it off, not worry, will I? I think, what can I wear on my feet? You know, not not some sort of cloggy, like ultra shoes, you know, find something to wear, go, you know, and get on with it. And um, so I had worked uh, after that experience, I had worked and I knew what I wanted to run. I mean, I'm 53, so I didn't, you know, I'd I, I worked out that I could run uh, 122, just under 122, uh, for the half, which to say I've got no talent, I've got no speed, I've got. You yeah. know I but you I, got I'm your marathon
1: time down to two thirty eight It's almost yeah. Olympic sort of time, um yeah, what marathon was that in
0: and that was in korolev in um, Russia not Moscow out there
1: so how did that feel then because like you have all these runners as well, and like what year was that in? That was in two
0: thousand and five
1: so two thousand and five, a bit of stigma as well with vegan and all of that good stuff like that must have really showed them Was like i don't say fingers up because that's not what you're trying to do but you know you're beating a lot of men who are training really really hard and here you are on a vegan diet running 238 and beating most of these macho men on these big heavy diets Mm -hmm. so it must be yeah i mean it was it
0: was but, I mean, to be honest with you, it wasn't fixated on. And to be honest with you, that's one of the things that i found with the vegan runners. And um, I became very frustrated with the fact that I was getting a little bit ignored. My results were ignored. And um, I remember that well, I was doing the London Marathon one year, off the Elite Start again, and I've kind of top 20 in London, which is a big result for me. I am not a runner. So to be able to say, you know, I've been top 10 in Amsterdam and, Top 20 in Great North. Carolina. I've done some good results for somebody who is purely an amateur. Um, I felt that I'm not running for myself, I'm not look, running for medals or whatever, I'm running for our veganism, and it seems to be something that everybody overlooks. They overlook me. And um, one year, um, it was what I remember very clearly I was doing in London, and Tracy Morris was uh, doing the commentary, you know, like the bit beforehand where they kind of ask questions, ring the expert, the elite ladies have just gone off, you want to ask a question. And one of my friends uh, rang in and said, do you think any of the ladies on the start line could possibly be vegetarian or perhaps even vegan? And our, they played it back to me, because obviously I was running at the time. And uh, the, the woman said, uh, Tracy said, uh, oh no, right? you need animal protein. You definitely need that kind of thing to, to perform at this level. And I'm there running the vegan the top. So um, it, <laughs> it's always been, um, believe you me, being vegan has not been cool. For very long, if you know what I mean. Um, It's uh, something that is very, very new. And obviously, um, when people see Arnold Schwarzenegger and think, you know, he's trying this route. But before that, it it was almost like veganophobia. I mean, I remember in 2012, I was um, selected for the Daily Mail's Inspirational Woman of the Year. So I did the article and my mum went out, like, what, 50 copies of the Daily Mail and we got them home all excitedly to look and we're looking at it. woman runs across desert to save her animals and, and the whole article and where's the bit about me being vegan? And it wasn't included. So I think people then are disappointed, but they forget that when you do an interview, it doesn't come back to you and say, are you happy with that? And they all no, I don't like that bit. And it goes, back. You, just, you do an interview, they publish what parts they want of it. And I realized, um, till relatively recently, when I was walking around, I couldn't fathom it out. Um, in 2013, when I did the world records, the North Pole and Antarctica, um, I came back um, and I got a big newspaper interested in doing the story uh, with the sanctuary angle and the vegan angle. And um, I, I came home and I said, you know, there you are. I've not just broke one world real, real record, I've done all three, you know, and I've, you know, and the guy said, you know, we can't do the story anymore. And I was so upset. And eventually he said, look, think about it. Um, it's running into Christmas. Um, it was at a time, funny enough, I saw a program on television that substantiated this recently about Aldi and Lidl. They were just trying to crack the luxury market of, um, you know, like uh, getting, you know, be to the competence the Tesco and it. And they were doing a lot of advertising running up to Christmas, you know, trifles and five-bird roasts. So we said, you know, we are, in essence, paid for by our advertising. And we can't be paid to advertise that and then put something completely so contradictory in the middle pages. We can't do that. So we got overlooked. And and I heard the word veganophobia. And honestly... um, that's what it was like. I mean, yeah. it, the Game Changer film is quite interesting. In 2013, James Wiltz um, approached me um, and said, you know, I want to make this film about veganism and you are the go-to person. You're the, the only really one performing at a high level and I want you in it. So James came over and filmed and he went back to Los Angeles and couldn't get the funding to take the, the project to the next level. So he put it on hold and I think in t- late 2015, James Cameron became involved and there was more interest. And he said, you know, right, I've got some funding. We want to come out and film you. And they came out, you know, the whole Lewis Ahoyer and like 14 film crews came out and filmed me for that project, uh, Game Changers. Um, But I think 2016 was the year when the dynamic changed slightly and veganism became a commercial entity. Mm -hmm. And I'm just not a commercial person. I, I was never saying, this is me before, but so look at me now. This is me always. And it was almost, I feel that with that film, they needed people that would uh, say, this is the benefit it's given me, rather than kind of me with this kind of, I, I used to watch a, a, a food sketch, uh, Acorn Antiques, Mrs. Overall, sort of, and I always liken myself to Mrs. Overall in the background, kind of dusting. I think, oh, but I've been vegan 47 years, Mr Fraud's you know. And it didn't fit with the, you know, it didn't fit with the dynamic, you know? Back in the nineteen seventies, strange British woman was, you know, vegan and and done all this, you know, it just it just didn't fit. Um, it only yeah. recently it's become kind of the ticket, if you know what I mean. Um, but, but i You were you, were
1: you were one of the real pioneers, though, because and if you don't push, hold on a sec, that's my Garmin alarm going off. <laughs> I just tripped over my Garmin. Um, but you like you were one of the pioneers, whereas like you are. Like the person next door, and I hope you don't mind me saying, but you're unassuming. So when you talked about the elites when you walked in there, like, oh, what are you doing here? You're just like one of us. So I think this day and age is more important that like when we see some somebody like us who is doing it, it means that it's potentially that we can do it. And that's real inspiration. <laughs>
0: that's exactly like, it. That...
1: Yeah, not yeah, like Arnold Schwarzenegger, exactly like I'm been not Anna point. Schwarzenegger. That's been <laughs> <very different.
0: laughs> Yeah. I mean it's like with the Paula, Paula Radcliffe and people like that I can never be that person but you could be this person you know you could be me I mean I, I can't you know have no talent like you know like the top runners but you know I can't just jump on the get a bunion and jump on a plane to the best bunion surgeon in the world I can't do that I've got to go to the National Health Service GP and like everyone else I just wanted to show people the potential they have got inside them to achieve and I am just I, want, I, I I always say, and I kind of wind my toes up, if I can do it, believe you me, any of you can do it. Because I, I carry a disability. I'm not necessarily uh, physically able to do what I'm doing, but I dig it out from somewhere. I have very little. If I've got any talent, the talent comes from the mental ability to keep pushing, but I've got an awful lot of determination. And if you've got that dedication and discipline in you, you will achieve. And um, that's kind of been my my message. Um, I, d- I know, I am I mean, when it was with Rich Rowland, I did the podcast with him. He kept kind of saying to me, but you, you have got talent. I kept, no, I haven't. Yes, you have. No, I thought we were going to have a row here. <laughs> we're not careful, so, but I really haven't. And I I don't want people to imagine that, I'm saying I haven't got any talent. So somebody who's slower than me definitely hasn't. It's not the message at all. It's just that I've I've, I've had to work with what I've got.
1: You were running over 100 miles a week. Do you know what I mean? So it's not like hard work overrules talent any day.
0: I believe so. And I have said, if you want to find people with real talent, they're the ones that have, will put the hard work in and have got the talent, they're the guys out the front. And when you run next to these guys, or they've run away from you, and you've kind of followed them into the distance, you realise you have not got talent. They've got talent. Um, but I have worked hard. I mean, I, you know, I can tell you stories. That, and have my one meal a day at night, and I would fall to sleep eating it. It would be coming out of my mouth. I would be so tired, Tr- you know, trying to fit in. two. You know, I used to do three feed sessions a week, Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday and a 12 mile recovery run in the evening as well as doing this lot as well being on call for the fire brigade as well going down to drill nights and cleaning on a, a wednesday for extra money down the fire but i i have really really worked hard there have, there really isn't much of a fiona left uh, it's just a walking body to um facilitate getting done what i need to get done um in my life and i'm very very driven
1: yeah, I do feel that that's part of the reason why you've done so well on the diet that you're on. is because you're all go all of the time and that you're not sitting absorbing all of this bullshit that is being presented to us through media or through even early schooling and things like that. All of that conditioning that we take. Like when I started running, I had like an ISO drink. I had jelly beans. I had like a gel at mile six. I'm only doing a 10-mile run. And I needed all of this stuff because this is what I read in the, in the magazines. And that now, like, you'll go for a 15, 16 mile run with no food or no water or anything. You know, but what you absorb, you just, it gets into your head and you think that you need these things. And I think that's what happens. It's all advertising and conditioning. And you. Oh, play...
0: yeah. I mean, i telling you, you need, you, need, you need a product. I mean, I've seen people on the start line of half marathons wearing more gels and look like a living grenade belt. I mean, you know, literally, I mean, they've got more. I mean, you don't need it. I mean, I've never run a road marathon and took anything but water along the roof. I don't have anything. But when you think about it, I mean, I've never had a sponsor. I'm not an advertiser's dream. Do you know what I mean? I'm not an advertiser's dream. I don't, I can't say, you know, buy this and you will run fast. I remember I used to work in a a bike shop and it was at the time Miguel Indrain was riding. And, uh, Somebody come in and said, you know, I want a bike, you know, what sort of bike? A fast one. I looked at him and said, Look, what do you mean? <laughs> go down next door it's motorbike, they've got engine. But you know, it was like Miguel Endrain would go fast on a shopping bike. You know what I mean? he would probably go faster than you on a shopping bike. You need to work on the, the 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 training. Spend less of the time reading the magazines and buying the products and fiddling about. Just work on the basic training. The only bit of kit that I ever really focuses on is shoes and socks because i've got a bad knee i want some cushioning but other than that i do rotate my shoes i'm very careful with that other than that literally carrot shop kit you know vegan runner stuff when i'm running and just get out and do the miles and i think that's the testament to the vegan diet not so much the race results or the wins or the medals they've been able to sustain the periods of training to get those results because actually any race is just like putting money in a bank the training is like putting the money depositing the money in a bank and on race day if you've done what you you know the training and the weather's good and you're good you just go and do the big withdrawal and you should be able to get the results that's all it's ever been to me simple equation job done own oh, back at the sanctuary get on with the work i've never he can come and he's like you know where's all your medals? where's all your trophies don't know Don't keep them. Have you got newspaper cuttings? No. Well, why not? I said, because I'm not interested in that. I'm only interested in going out, achieving what I need to achieve on the day and coming back and getting on with something else. I've never dwelled on it. I'm not not a person that needs praise. I'm not a person who needs um, accolades. I don't particularly like being uh, complimented because I actually, in the scheme of what I want, I've done very little. In the scheme of what... I would like to affect change. In the scheme of what I would like to see happen in the world, I've done very, very little. And I actually recognise that. I never want to be, uh, you know, you know the day that you come back from a run and think, hmm, did rather well there. Um, that's the day that you won't start to improve. You know, I am always coming back from race, even if I've won it. And, I, I, you know, I'd be thinking, where could I have done a bit better? Where could I have done... oh, missed the shot there? I should have done this. You know, it, that's what it's all been about for me. Um, and I think that's what keeps driving me forward. I think there's either kind of, you know, there's two gears, backwards or forwards. Static doesn't, you know, I don't want that, so it's either going to be a choice, and I want to be moving forward.
1: You did um, break three Guinness World Records there. You've talked about moving backwards, moving forwards. I can't have you here and not talk about your your world records, um, and it started off with the North Pole, because that, that, that must have been pretty exciting
0: it was, it was surreal, I didn't know what I was laying myself in for, I was kind of thinking, you know, I, I'd done 2012 Marathon the Starball and um, I was always looking for the impact on veganism from what I was doing, so I was the first vegan woman to do Marathon the Sable. I did it ethically vegan, I got a massive at that, full of goodness knows what, huge big kilo sleeping bag, couldn't get anything synthetic um, so I had to use heavy equipment but I'd done it, I got the medal and then uh, one of, because I, I keep saying one of my friends I talk about my friends and um, running colleagues. And he said, look, you've done that. Why don't you do the North Pole marathon, the, 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 the um, Arctic marathons? And I'm thinking, wow, a simple equation. What do you say when you're coming out of the cold? Oh, it's like the North Pole. What do you say when you run a marathon? I feel tired. You know, I feel like I've run a marathon. So put the two together. And that's got to be t- definitive, absolute proof that of the vegan. You can do anything. So I kind of looked into running the North Pole Marathon. It was far too expensive. And then completely out of the blue, the race organiser offered me a place. And I was very, very grateful. It was exactly the same time that Marathon Starball was run. So I had to make my choice. And the choice was, I'd go to the North Pole. Originally, I didn't think there was a Marathon at the North Pole. I thought, oh, what they'll do, they would probably uh, get somewhere that you've never heard of in Norway, up north somewhere. And it'll be cold and snowy, and They'll probably do 10k off mariton call it north pole because it's that odd meanwhile as they're dropping you off at the north pole and you're waving goodbye to the plane you're thinking right now my address now is for the next 36 hours fiona Rot's care of the north pole um you're thinking what the hell am i doing here knowing that i dislocate my knee as soon as I sneeze um and i'm running on ice and snow um and i didn't know i could do it i just set off at my little, little pace people say oh you know went out with a game plan oh yeah went out with the game plan just, finish alive and have all my body parts still in <laughs> and you know that's all i went out there to do um i didn't intend to go out there and do so well uh, because i didn't know if i could i just got to do what i do um and i'm very good steady runner uh, the, the key to running in the cold is as soon as you heat up make sure you don't slow down da- uh, slow down because if you slow down you'll get cold you won't just run, lose time you'll get hypothermia that's probably the key to it
1: but it's quite dangerous and for you uh,
0: though, wasn't it? so i did the the um
1: it was quite dangerous for you. It me is, me is not dangerous. Having, I mean, there's uh, no doubt about it. But not having a kneecap as well, it was, there was quite a large risk with that then. If you slipped or anything like that, it could have torn a lot oh of Oh,
0: gosh, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I try not to focus on that because when I stand on a star, I always want to feel that I am equal. I don't like to make excuses. Oh, I would have run quicker, but I haven't got this kneecap. Get your violins out. Feel sorry for me. It's not like that with me. I, I am what I am. Uh, and, and you know, I'm, I'm running on a fair play. Um, so um. I... Um, I mean, I, I'm such a such an idiot, I am, I, I miss Clutter Book, I just go into, it's like carry on Fiona at the North Pole, it really is, so I'm, I'm laying on my bunk, the plane's gone back to get the rest of the runners, because you can't land on the ice with too many runners, because the plane, the drank tsunami under the ice, and the plane can go through in the Arctic Ocean, it's like, I know you hear this dog barking, I thought, well I've gone delirious, because it's baking hot you know, in this tent, um, so all the kit goes on, I think, no, I can still hear a dog barking, so I go out. And I see this Russian guy, and I oh dog, very nice dog, you know. Dog "Why is he barking? Oh, we have him here to alert us if um if there are polar bears around. Oh, that's oh, why wow, a polar bear? How does he do that? Oh, like, how foolish! How does he do that? He said he barks. I said, oh, hang on a minute, he's barking. <laughs> he said, yeah, because a polar bears around, you know, it's the North Pole going." And, um, yeah, it, it, was, it was just a magnificent experience. I mean, I, you were you laying your bunk, You wait to be told. We've got a window to set you off. You can run now. You never know when the start's going to be. And I remember thinking, at one point, have I got frostbite in my big toe? Um, I hadn't done any acclimatised training. I'm getting there, and everybody's been training in a freezer, some special university camp that they've been to. I'm thinking, oh, no, you know, I've been out when it were a bit nippy, but that's all, you know. Um, and um, we've all got special trainers out. And I've got my old Saconis, you know, complete idiot. But unfortunately, I didn't get a right on the big toe. And I remember looking up at one point, didn't know if it were day and night, if it got a 24 hour light, and thinking, come on, Fiona, rally round. I know you're tired. I know your big toe hurts, but you're at the North Pole. This is never going to happen again. And um, yeah, I won it and I broke a record and all that, you know, course record and whatever. And from that point, you know, the, the other guys who were more accustomed to this sort of running, I was coming basically from um just road running. You know, said so Fiona, you know, you you're really good at this. You could do the world records. I didn't know anything about world records. I don't really know anything about ultra running. You know, all these you get in these tents and everybody's talking about UTMB points and all this business. And I'm sort of thinking, Oh my God, what do I say? I don't know. I don't know anything about running. I just know one step in front of the other as quick as you can get to the finish line and then the pain. That's all I know about running. And um yeah, um and then then I came home and I thought, yeah, I'd like to do the world records. Well documented. Fiona, no money. Because we all got to sanctuary. Um, in the end, my mum and dad offered to, <laughs> the only thing they got left was their cottage, which was going to remortgage me to go and do this attempt. Um, no time to remortgage at that point. Full on. Um, go and um, a sponsor came forward. And literally, I was going, you know, there and back to Australia in a day. You know, I mean, like, I remember I got stopped at Adelaide Airport. Somebody said to me, you know. Are you looking for your bags? No, I've got no bags, but you're coming off the Dubai flight. Yes, I know I have. Um, well, what are you doing? Are you going on some wasting staying with relatives? No, you know, you no. Know. no. And he's looking at me. You basically come to Australia for a day trip. I said, Yeah, that's about right. You know, oh, I know what you're thinking. No, it's looking like that. I'm, I'm running the marathon in the morning and then I've got to go home and, you know, start jobs again. And he's like, you crazy woman, just go. And I've done, you know, and i just muddled my way through these races. But I knew I could do it. I knew what time I got to run. I got to run about three hours in each race. And I know that's well within my compass to keep going and doing that. It's not bad knowing your body. Um, but, yeah, and I ended up with three world records for the animals. Not for me. I, I didn't do it. I just did it to prove what you can do, your potential. And whether you do it to promote anything, it's all about finding your potential and reaching it. And that's what the running has taught me. Um, it's all relative to what you want to achieve. So I don't look at runners and think, oh, you're slower. You are you know, I always aspire to be better. Uh, but, you know, somebody might be out there and you might take them seven hours to do a marathon. But we don't, you know, the context of what they're doing it in, that might be their Elliot Kitschage sub two. You know, so it's all about. And you learn so much about yourself in these races too. I mean, I I think that ultra stage races teach you so much. And I've always said they've had a great impact on my life. In in teaching me the importance of um, the basic things, I mean, I run for the animals, but remember, we're all animals. Um, Some are non-human, some are human animals. And essentially, we're not very different. We need food, water, shelter, security, no pain. Uh, no suffering um that's that's all we crave and i think that this crisis has taught us that um we it also illustrates the frustration of being confined we have our freedom um in this country particularly we can go as where we please within reason and um all those things that are the most precious things i think very often have been overlooked and taken for granted um, and people laugh at me i said well they, you know what is it like in the marison de sablo and so i said, I said well, put it like this. If somebody walked over to you with a giant diamond, yeah, and said, "Do you want this?" The owner, it's a big diamond here. You'd look at it and probably think, "How heavy is it?" <laughs> oh, it's heavy. It's a big one, and you probably think, "No, I don't want to have to carry it." Well, it's not got no use to me out here, or is it like a hundred euro note or whatever. Pooh, you look at it and think, "Oh, toilet paper, perhaps." You know, those things mean nothing in crisis situations. What mean everything is water a little bit of food, a little bit of rest and recovery, uh, just feeling that for a few hours it's over and you haven't got to think about that horrible experience that's waiting for you tomorrow. That's what the important thing in life. But, you know, I, I say that truly with great humbleness because at any point in those races, you can just put your hand up and say, actually, I've had enough now. I want to go back to the five-star hotel What is that?" Most people, or a lot of people in, in terrible war-torn situations, in poverty, with suffering, can't do that. The only thing we can do in the Western world is use these experiences to teach us those lessons that, so that we can come back and always carry in our hearts and minds the people that are not got what we've got and try to fight for more equality and justice throughout. And that's, that's honestly why, why I keep flooding on.
1: <laughs> Beautiful. Um, tell me a little bit about the Tower Hill stables then.
0: Well, Tower Hill Sables Animal Sanctuary was started in two, um, 1995, 1996. Um, I've always rescued animals. I would love them. Never thought it was possible to have a property with any land, you know, to be able to do rescue myself. And um, me and my partner were um, rescuing from like a small property, you know, just a domestic property, you know, cats and dogs and chickens and chinchillas wherever we could. And um, we had horses at a livery yard, a, a farm. One of the horses had a terrible accident. Um, uh, it was at about thirteen weeks and we decided that no longer could we work that model. It just wasn't working. uh you know, I was going to work every day, all our God sends to pay someone else to not deliver the care to the animals that we wanted them to have. In that um, I found out that Oscar had, had his accident, um, because um the farmer who owned the place where he was had allowed um People to shoot in the field, shoot rabbits, and it basically took fright. It was a race source, x ray source, and he'd got himself impaled on a fence. So at that point, we decided we've got to raise some money to have a, what a, an equestrian, probably a small holding. Uh, my parents went into flat out when they thought there was a chance of this happening. All my relatives chipped in. I remember I'd got a great aunt who was 98 years old, and uh, my mum told her, Auntie Nancy, there's a chance Fiona might get this dream. And she went to her bed and left that she got um, a sock with a thousand pounds in it under the mattress for a funeral money. And she said, well, give her this and I'll just have to make sure I don't die just yet. And um, all the money went into to to get in this uh, small property. And uh, I started full rescue. I was going to. To stay at home and do the rescue, and but it just grew bigger and bigger and bigger because as the more you become exposed to the problem, the more you want to do to address it. And that's why, after we've like accumulated other yards and I was back into the renting situation, slightly different, but I was still back. I knew then that it wasn't working, the animal's need was out there, I couldn't fulfill that need. I was always hitting at the symptoms, never getting at the cause, and that's why I wanted to find a way creatively. To promote veganism in a positive way, because I knew I've been vegan since I was a tiny child, and it worked for me, and it could work for other people if they knew about it. And a lot of people just didn't know about it, um, so that's why you know I took to the running, and now uh, the sanctuary has grown. We've now got over six hundred animals. I've got one hundred and six horses, we've got one hundred and fifty pigs, I've got sixty cows, uh, one hundred and twenty-five sheep, various you know chickens, geese, turkeys. We've got the whole remit of animals. Um, and that's what my passion is caring for them fitting in the running around it and I think that's important for people you know I get a lot of um, like ladies who are mothers oh my god I I didn't think I'd ever be able to achieve my full potential running I thought I was just going to be in a gym doing a bit of aero I've seen what you do what you fit in even around you know I've got two children it can be done you just got to be creative with your time Um, for me I've always been creative with my running it's just uh, I'm creative with my activism and that's what it's all about not looking at what you can't do and what you haven't got finding ways of working what with what you have got and making that work as best you can and that that's what I I always try to do to be as positive not look at what you haven't got but look at okay it's not great my body's not great but I'm but actually I might be able to do this if I really find a way around it and that's what I've done with fitting in the training in or, or whatever I do it's just I don't know. I don't know if I'm just very lucky to, to be able to maintain these levels of um, motivation. And um, I'm always very, very enthusiastic because I know I'm doing it from the heart. And people, when people have interviewed me in the past, I sound like a right beaver, but it's not like that. Um, <laughs> very often people say, do you, do you do you want to see the questions in advance? And I actually say I would prefer not to see them. I don't want my answers to be rehearsed because my life is not rehearsed. It's not false. I want people to see see the true Fiona. I don't want to see them with some... uh, I can't offer massive statistics because I've never... I've I've run and what I've done, I've almost done to create the statistics. I've I've run to create facts. Every statistic can be manipulated and read differently. Every fact can, you know, but this is is actually what I've done. You can argue with it, you can dislike me, you not agree with it, but I've done this. And you you can't make that go away. And that's been the logic behind uh, the running, uh, just to to create some proof because nobody else was doing it. Nobody else was out there when I started with the running, doing what I do, Um, when we created the club and when I went, nobody, no other active vegans were out there. There might have been other people who were vegan and and weren't saying anything about it, but there was nobody actively promoting it. And when I actually looked at the big uh, organizations, the animal welfare organizations, like, you know, uh, PETA and and Viva, they were always kind of getting um, contradictory um, remarks in terms of saying that, okay, you might be able to survive on a vegan diet, but can you thrive on one? Nobody's doing that. So, you know, this idea that all vegans would look like they have been dug up from the ground or, you know, they might just be able to you know muster enough energy to to get from the the sati to the fruit bowl or you know to to nibble a lettuce to the fridge you know that was the kind of imagery and there was nothing out there to say differently so i just wanted to be able to say differently i couldn't just do a youtube video and and put it out there and and state what i felt i would got to actually do something to prove it and that's what i've always tried to do and, and be very honest about what i'm doing
1: um the Tower Hill, is there any if anybody wanted to help what you're doing in the Tower Hill, is there any avenue at all?
0: Yeah, I mean, obviously we've got, you can contact us via the Instagram, Tower Hill Fables, or by me, Fiona Oakes. Um, just Actually, I did, I did a phone-in once to James O'Brien on LBC, and it was just about sport and drugs and whatever. And I rang in as, as Fiona um, from Ashledon, and in the middle of the interview, he said, oh my God, you're, you're, you're Fiona Oakes, you're actually an elite marathon runner and a vegan. And I was like, oh, gosh, you know, like that. But what I'm trying to say is if you just search Fiona or Fiona Oates and running or just Fiona Oates, it all comes pluttering forward at you. But, um, yeah, the Sanctuary's got, obviously, a Facebook page, an Instagram page, loads of ways to help either physically by volunteering, uh, donating, obviously fund the massively important, especially at the moment, keeping going is the real worry because of this um, coronavirus, um, you know, people can't come to the sanctuary, uh, people are worried about the future, they're worried about their own livelihood, so I'm afraid charity is taking a step back in people's thoughts, you know, um, but yeah, just getting in touch, And people write to me and say, you know, oh wow, it's a, somebody wrote to me this morning, they've seen the film Money for good and she's bowled over by it and she said uh, on the Instagram, she said, um, I know this message probably won't Reach you, you must get thousands. Oh, that's awesome. um, but um, I just want to say how amazing I found the film. I always write back whether you write as Tower Hill Stables or Fiona Oates, it's always just me sitting at the end of the computer in the middle of the night or whatever, writing back to people. I like to help other people. I like to, if people ask me about the running or ask me how vegan, I really do try personally to answer everybody because I think it's very important. I want to share, I don't want to take, I want to share with people. The whole purpose of my life now is caring for the animals and promoting veganism, not for myself. Um, I don't want to be at the centre of this. I want this word out there and in a positive way. And once uh, upon a time, uh, an organisation in Sweden contacted me and said, we want that picture of you running down birdcage walk alone with that vegan runner top. I think it was a year I came top 20 London. And they said, the only problem is, we can't put credit on it we're not putting words we're just putting images i said i don't want my name to be out there i just want this word to be out there and people to see it because people's attention study is like this is before instagram it is instant An image, they, they move on and uh, the image is london marathon alone must be you know running well in a vegan runner all i ever wanted and um, I know when Keegan was actually filming in the Marathon de Sable, I shared my, my tent with some great guys, seven great guys. And he went through and asked them all, you know, what would you, uh, what do you think of Fiona? Oh, my God, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I think they thought you on camera. they better say something nice. But, um, you know, one guy said she's not what a typical vegan, I, I imagined a vegan to be like. And I know she didn't say that, but she's just not what I expected at all. And that's kind of what I want. And, you know, at the end of the day, vegan thing is just it's it's the diet the way you live life it's not pertaining to a specific sort of person you know i've got the you know vegan friends who are surgeons who are, you know like firefighters all spectrums of society and that's what you know i want to show we're not just like a group of people that, that you jetted in from some, uh, uh, some alien planet we are just normal people who happen to Eat differently and probably think a little bit differently than most people. We don't actually probably eat a whole lot differently and think a whole lot differently. It's just that we we've developed the reasons why we are thinking and eating the way we are. And I know when I was in um, the Atacama Desert a couple of years ago doing the Atacama Crossing, we were sitting down for one of our evening tent talks, you know, around the campfire, and uh, one of my guys said, "Oh, um, I don't think I could go vegan." I said, "Look, Marco, what do you actually eat?" And when it actually came, he analysed it. He was practically vegan. Um, but he, he obviously had an ultra and he was thinking about what he ate. So he, he ate a little bit bit of fish and a little bit of white meat. But other than that, it was it was vegan. So there you are. You, you it's not sometimes if you say vegan, it's almost a vegan diet. It's like um Yeah, that's it, it like
1: it's, it's like um, having I, I don't
0: a... Know, yeah, it's like <laughs> Yeah, I mean and
1: that's that's what diet. People do, I don't like, like
0: the word dial.
1: No, I, yeah. And it's like when people like I have like a lovely madras curry or and they're like well you know it's just chickpeas instead of chicken like there's no different and like, yeah and i
0: don't like the word diet because people associate the word diet with denial and people say to me oh i'm having this piece of cake that you can't have it Fiona, can you and i say well i could but i don't want it you know i find it a liberating experience to be like, i've got choice i could choose to i just choose not to rather no i cannot you just taboo. take it away you know i could but i don't want it i, I, I choose not to do. it's your so ass-
1: it's your association with food it really co- a lot of it comes down to that um at the minute because of this um self-isolation like i'm eating twice as much food as i should be or my body needs it's more out of boredom or anything else um but to me um when i start going to longer endurance events. You know I s my association changed where it became fuel rather than something nice to eat and when that happens and you start assessing what goes and you start being selective on what you're eating and you i naturally moved towards a plant-based diet then just because it was good fuel that my body wanted and i was never tired and i was doing like crazy stuff like and you know I'd go great for a 10 mile run come up do a hundred mile bite and come home and cut the grass and it was just pure pain.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: And people would say to me, "Like, I where would do you like get... to say that." Yeah, go ahead.
0: Yeah, a lot, lot of people say that that have gone vegan, their recovery rate is remarkable, and that's probably one thing with me. I, you know, I do charge on from one task to another, but I recover very quickly because I don't think about it. I'm recovering, obviously, recovering very, very quickly, repairing very, very quickly, um, and I could only say that uh, people ask, "There's no before and after with Fiona." Uh, because i've always been vegan but the one thing is for me the benefits are that um sport is not just about uh, physical it's about mental and for me i'm very mentally where i need to be and when i'm i go to the start line of a race i know that no no suffering has gone into this performance it's a very pure performance I've be a very very basic diet i have no protein powders nothing it's very very basic whole food vegan diet and i'm happy with that and i'm confident that the tools that I've prepared myself with, my body with, i.e., the fuel, is going to sustain me. And that's what I think. I know it won't let me down. I know I've got enough. And I think that it is absolutely the mental approach to your, your diet. I think a lot of people overstress it, analyse it, when actually um, it, it almost plateaus and they actually it goes back the other way. They think, oh, but I couldn't do it on a vegan diet run. I can do it. And I know I can and I know I will. And also, I always advocate for them. I come from an era where there was no product couldn't even get soya, could nothing vegan, you had to create your own. But it does create awareness. Cooking from scratch, and we still do, mum still cooks the food, is um, a very good way of actually addressing what's in your food and thinking about what you're eating rather than um, just, you know, chomping it down and not actually analysing it. Because I think if a lot of people actually saw what was in what they were eating, they think, oh no, perhaps give that a rain shed. They've got it bundled up in a product they don't actually think about it so i i don't fuss about food i don't stress about food i don't over food um i just use it as a fuel and think thank goodness i've got enough food i don't sit down worrying where the next meal's come from and what sort of environment i'm going to eat it in 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 terms of i'm a frightened for my life i'm a frightened for my health um so honestly that's the way i conduct myself and it works well for me it probably wouldn't work for everyone but it works for me
1: What's next for Fiona then?
0: Well, it was going to be the England race and then the Marathon de Sable. Um, Marathon de Sable is supposed to be postponed to September, which I'd like to think it was going to be, but I'm not so sure. But if not, I'd like to do the four deserts Grand Slam. That's what I'd like to do, the four ultra races in one year. Um, and I don't know, whatever whatever I think can serve is the, the the end goal, which is not um, a win or anything like that, it's... it's the positive promotion of veganism so i don't know it could be competitive knitting i don't know whatever no, it wouldn't be. it but you know what i mean it could be anything it's a creative opportunity if i think it's worthwhile giving it a go and i think i might have a chance i'll go for it but i don't tend to force too much i wait to see what opportunities present themselves and whether i think i could fulfill them the best for the animals and that's the actual truth so i don't know um, if mds goes ahead in september i'd like to go out and hit it as hard as i could probably and fall over or do something but I'd like to give it a go with good shoes good legs and a good team uh, as competitors you know uh, but I don't know uh, I, obviously as long as I live it'll be caring for the animals that's the primary thing on my agenda and being as positive a human being as I possibly can
1: that's magic Fiona we're going to wrap it up at that that is the fastest hour I think I've ever had my entire life your energy is so infectious um, there's so many that's actually
0: an hour and a half
1: yeah an hour and a an half an hour
0: and a half next. <laughs>
1: Um, but uh, you know there were so many different stories. I was so excited to meet you. You know we had you overcome that adversity of your disability, you ran a two thirty eight marathon. Um, your whole how busy your life is. There's so many different things people can take from your story, whether it's veganism, looking after animals, or still being able to do things with busy lives. Keeping things simple, I think, is key as well, and not overcomplicating the world around you. Um, it's tremendous. You didn't disappoint.
0: I will say that one one last point people are asking me. I don't know when this will go out about the coronavirus. How are you getting through it? And I'm getting through it with self-discipline. And as you say, not particularly myself, up with the information I need to know and let, not not getting sucked into things that I don't need to stress about. So it's happening. I need to be prepared for it. But beyond that, tr- trying to keep a relative normality in my life, whatever that normality might be. Um, and also positivity. And, and the big word for me is always self-discipline um you know keeping a routine not letting things slip
1: that's that, that is that's a key point to... actually um just to emphasize on that I, I was working from home for a couple of weeks and sort of went down the rabbit hole with the coronavirus and it's very important we must obviously follow all the regulations and rules that are out there um but it was i was extremely exhausted from it um i made the decision of going back to work then and just trying to be normal as you were saying, just worry about the things you need to worry about. Um, but just be careful. I, I suppose to everybody, you know, safe isolate where you need to, and clean your hands. I suppose mm. is the big key, mm. the main key. And matters.
0: also, can I just say the things that you can do now in in preparation if you did get it or anything else? Think about your immune system. Think about rest. Think about taking the stress out of your life. Think about your diet. Think about not smoking, not drinking, no drugs all the things that can prepare you, not just if you've got coronavirus or whatever might be around the corner. Think about investing in yourself and your own immunity. And rather than focusing on vaccines, putting yourself in a best position health-wise to fight anything. And I think that's very, very important. And you've got to be in the right mental place could be as good as you like physically. But if mentally you're all stressed out, it's not going to work. So finding that symbiosis of being sensible, but not, like you said, getting stuck down the rabbit hole. Um, yeah and just stay well and and focus on things will get better because we we have to work together to make them better and learn lessons
1: magic Fiona thanks very much hope I didn't see too much of your time really appreciated that
0: no 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 it's better now the night's are light I've got more daylight hours to do the animals so I'll go off and shoot out and do that and thank you very much for this
1: Wow, well folks, what do you think of that? Fiona is absolutely amazing. She is one of the most inspiring guests that I've had on the podcast. If I could bottle her energy and sell it, I'd be a rich man by now. It hasn't been an easy path for her, but determination and results will no doubt be her legacy. Hope you enjoyed this episode. If so, why not follow the Inspirational Runner on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and other places I'm not even aware of. Or join our group on Facebook under the name Inspirational Runner Podcast. Not to be confused with the page, which is technically no longer being used. Beth Pascal on next week. So until then, stay safe and keep on moving.